Hello, newsies. Uh, welcome uh, to another episode of Get the Flick Out of Here. Hope your week has, has gone well. Hope you have good weekend plans. I'm your host, Alex Polosky. And with me, as always, is Kate Elizabeth. Hey, Kate Elizabeth hey. Waldo. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Kate Waldo Elizabeth. Um, <laughs> um for this week, um, uh, I, 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 I made another tragic error, Kate. This, uh... I, I, I recommended something that I remember loving, and then I watched it back with my new eyes that I have as, as an adult. Did and you have? I- I transplant, but no, it's one of those. I, I listen, you know, like uh, you remember things fondly when you first see them at like 12, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, and then, and then multiple viewings farther into your, into your life, you, you still like, oh, it's just, you know, and the thing of it is, is that if, if this, if, if five, six years ago, this had come on cable and i just switched and watched five minutes of it i would still think it was as as i remembered it but to sit down and and watch it for uh, for a critique um uh now that my toxic traits have fully been realized uh and i'm not allowed to enjoy anything anymore i've i've realized what a mistake that i've made okay, um well I, this wasn't just your toxic traits because i was also, I, I, I have some of the same inclinations as you, but it's not an illness in the same way. Right. But uh, I was actually quite bored, and it mm. mm-hmm. almost brought me some sense of peace because Alex, <laughs> I don't feel bad anymore. I don't feel bad about mm. Amy Garcia Good. and Freddie Prince Jr. movies. Mm. I don't feel bad about making you sit. Through I mean, Hallmark this is be- special. This, this this is this is better than that. This is this is so much better marginally. than Amy Garcia. This is so much better than Amy Garcia. And you've had Jr. you've had some questionable calls. I have. This was one of them. This was. Here's the thing. I will obviously go through it. That's what we're here to do. We're reviewing. We're reviewing a movie. I was once they realized that they didn't know what they were satirizing. I was just, I was kind of checked out. That's, that's mm-hmm. kind of where we got lost in this, but mm-hmm. guys, if you want to get a chat and to talk about last action hero, the most boring Arnold Schwarzenegger movie I've ever seen. Cause we've seen bad Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. We did a bad uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie right here on this channel. Lord, some cute jokes an attempt at, Something meta satirical, whatever. Failed. Failed. Um, yeah, send in your super chest to to yell at Kate. Um, uh, because this Why is this is because people people are people because because now I have to defend the movie, Kate. This is the problem is because 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 you don't like it so much. Now I'm going to be forced to defend a thing I don't even like all that much. But I, I I have to because so much of my life, uh, I I went through it living a lie, believing that this you know how like um it's so hard for people to get out of a cult 
because because then their whole life is a lie. That's me in this movie now. I have to defend it. I'm not. A, I can't. I can't leave because then then I will have been the idiot. I will have been the wrong one, and that that can't be true. So I have to defend uh, this film. I will say this: this movie is this movie is actually it's seven movies, but it's two movies. Um, uh, one of them is utter garbage, and the other is brilliant. The problem is, is the brilliant one takes up about twenty minutes of the two hour and ten minute. That run is time. correct. I want the real movie. I want that movie. And here's what we might have gotten it. We never know. We might have gotten it. The, the Last Action Hero has a pedigree to it, like of of not Arnold, but like um, a, a pedigree of people, like really smart, talented people behind the scenes who worked on this thing. Like John McTiernan had an absolute track record at this point in his career as a director. Of the, he directed Predator, which Did is he direct still, Die Hard. He directed Die Hard. He directed The Hunt for Red October. Like he was a really prestige type of director with this uh, kind of movie, um, and um, there were a bunch of different really smart people who did uh, script rewrites on this. The, the script is credited to, um, to a guy named David Arnott, who I don't know, and Shane Black, who wrote Lethal Weapon and all kinds of other, uh, you know, good, really good scripts. Also, they hired all these really great script doctors who were uncredited in the movie but worked on it, one of whom... William Gold William Goldman is is an old timey amazing like old timey I don't know, old time but like for for like for fifty years he was writing scripts in Hollywood working on them rewriting them to make them better so many scripts of movies that you love you have no idea the actual script that they shot was the one that William Goldman got paid a million dollars to rewrite and they didn't use his name in the credits like William Goldman did this forever. Really, really smart guy. He wrote The Princess Bride and a lot of other really uh, great movies. Um, but other other people, the guy who wrote Highlander, um, Carrie Fisher, who played Princess Leia, was working as the one of the most in-demand script doctors in Hollywood at the time. She had a pass on this thing. A lot of really smart people were, were doing this. And the problem is, is that they never could agree on what movie they were doing. Um, it sure also, feels that way. Also, John McTiernan has said that uh, they finished shooting the script, finished shooting the movie, uh, and they never edited it. Three weeks from when they finished shooting to when it ended up in the theaters. That is one quarter of the time, of the minimum amount of time that you usually give the editors to do a pass and then another pass and then figuring out like what we're doing John McTiernan says, "Oh, the movie's absolutely twenty-five minutes too long." But, I, it, but it is definitely too long. But it's also like that rush with this type of movie and what it's attempting right. to be is even more egregious because, like you said, it is two films. And when you have something that, even though I feel like the script fails satirically, could have been helped by some evening out here and what we were just right. talking about of the brilliant movie and the bad movie, right? Uh, ugh. That yeah, makes sense. The, it makes sense why it was bad. 
Yeah, they they he wanted it to be good, but the studio wouldn't let him. The studio, this was one of the most expensive movies ever released. Um, you got to pay Arnold double a double fee because he's also the producer of the film, and some of the worst things in the movie came directly from Arnold's brain. So there's that. Um, but he's also one of the most expensive guys in Hollywood. Uh, all these amazing action set, set pieces, um, special effect shots, all this stuff. Um, and uh, so it's very expensive. But also they paid, they did things to market the movie, such as a like a, a, a Burger King movie tie-in commercial uh, thing where they had all, all the time were, were these Burger King commercials talking about how it's going to be the hit of the summer. Um, uh, but also they paid $500,000 to put an advertisement on the side of the space shuttle, which was supposed to go up in May, but technical difficulties postponed it until July when the movie had already been out for a month and nobody was seeing it. So they paid half a million dollars to put last action hero on the side of a space shuttle to like promote the thing, but it never actually uh, launched until after the movie had already tanked at the box office. I am like, there were glad a lot of that mistakes. the space mission did not go as poorly as the box office release. Because I didn't do a lot of research around this because I didn't find anything that I cared about. Ah, good. <laughs> um, and but what I did see was that it was a box office flop, which actually surprised me because. I, my guess is the runtime kind of killed this a little bit because I feel like when this was released, if your kid saw like Arnold Schwarzenegger film and it's four kids, as a parent, even if you heard it was bad, you would be like, well, of course it's bad. It's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie for kids, right? Um, that only worked in Jingle All the Way, I feel like you could make the argument for. Even that's stretching it, depending on what your definition of work is. Mm, yeah. But it, it does surprise me that it did as poorly as it did. And I, understanding that it had a very high ceiling, it was a very expensive film to put out. Because I would have thought that parents would have just bit at Schwarzenegger film. My kids want to go. Like, this is probably mm-hmm. a, a good use of time or whatever. But if you see two hours and ten minutes on that versus an hour and thirty as a parent, my guess is... That might change up your plans a little bit because mm-hmm. that's like Apollo 13 Braveheart right. length territory. That's not mm-hmm. the level kids movie. Um, so the reason it was a kids movie is because Arnold insisted upon it. The original script was written on spec by two unknowns. Zach Penn, who later went on to have a very stellar career. He wrote like stuff for the Mar- for the event- for Marvel movies. Uh, and and his uh, sidekick, uh, Adam Leff, who did not go on to do much, but they sold that they 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 wrote it on spec. It was their idea, completely whole cloth. They were doing it as a straight up, um, like like dark satire on action movies. Like there's there's stuff in the original script that is really really bleak, but um, but they're they're doing it as like a dark satire um and uh to their surprise there was a bidding war for this script that they wrote two unknowns they sold it for half a million dollars one scene from the original script is in the movie one 
So the concept of the movie you bought, you bought the script for five hundred five thousand dollars. They still get story by credits on it, but nothing they actually did in there is the same. Um, and everybody had their ha- so many cooks in the kitchen, so many different little fingers in the pie to try and make this into your own thing. Uh, the producers, uh, not the least of which was Arnold Schwarzenegger, demanding this was a kid-friendly movie. The original script was ex- entitled Extreme Violence. Um, because because at the time, people w- were going to be... Uh, things were rated R for extreme violence. Like, rated R for sexual content and blah, 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 blah. You could be rated, rated R for extreme violence, and that was the, the thing they were kind of satirizing. Um, was that well, what uh, but, type of bleak was it? Like, what was the what was the bleak satire? Like, what was um, what, how, uh, how the, was it dark? The the kid in the movie goes on a killing rampage. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, because so they because, changed the entire movie. <laughs> like, it's but it's like it's it's a thing to like prove there are no consequences here. Watch. And he just starts killing everybody that he sees, like as a as a as a as a point of like there are no consequences. But when you start looking at it, like this is a kid who's like not in high school yet, and he thinks it's cool to like kill everybody with guns because there's because there's no consequences. And once you start re- like how the easy it is to 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 bleed from the world that you see on television where there's no consequences to the real world where maybe you think there might be less consequences because you've been watching too many of these things. And this all happened in, in the years before school shootings got, got crazy. But like, can you imagine like that kind of how that would translate in today's anyway? Or even like, um, I feel like there was a noticeable like pre nine 11 and post nine 11 shift and how violence in general was, I want to say like neutered, but certainly handled with mm-hmm. differently because of what mm-hmm. we saw in the real world unfold a little bit. So this was on right. the earlier curve of that and kind of comes up. There's play. yeah, there's no um there's there's very little blood in the movie. Um Arnold kills a bunch of people, but um the only not real extreme blood violence. Is, <laughs> yeah, no, no, not extreme violence. Uh not the way that they do it. They do it in a, in a funny way, but but anyway. Arnold was writing off the success of the movie Twins, which was a straight-up comedy uh, with him and Danny DeVito and their twins. Um, And then Kindergarten Cop, which was the last big movie he did uh, before this one, I think, um, where he plays a cop who goes undercover in a kindergarten classroom and all the kids, blah, 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 blah. It was a huge huge hit. So he had become kind of almost like a family action guy. And so he insisted on that striking the same tone because those movies had been hits. But there wasn't, they were rewriting the script on set, trying to figure out what's the tone that we want to set with this thing. The director wants something, Arnold wants something different, all this stuff. So um, the reason it's so uneven is because so many different people were trying to make so many different movies at the same time. And that happens actually a lot. But then in the final edit, you go through and you go, okay, actually, let's all agree this is what we're going to tell. We're going to do this story instead of those. We're going to do this one. We also need about four or five days of reshoots to make sure that those scenes that are a little off 
get reshot in the right tone. All of that usually happens. But when the production company says, this is the date, you are releasing it on this date, June 18th, there will be no competition on either side of this thing. Because uh, they thought Jurassic Park was going to be a flop. The production company that made this thought Jurassic Park. Because honestly, the last two movies that Spielberg had made did not do well at the box office. So Jurassic sure. who? What kid wants to go watch dinosaurs come to life in vivid like amazing special effects on the screen. They're, they won't go to see that movie two weeks in a row. So that movie came out on July on June 11th. This movie came out on June 18th. Didn't ever even open number one at the box office because Jurassic Park was still number one. And it didn't remain number two at the box office the second week it was there. Word of mouth tanked this thing. People who did go to see it because they thought it was going to be something like I, I I feel like there's either you go thinking it's going to be all family comedy. Or you go think it's going to be all action. You don't go thinking it's going to be a weird satire of both things and how they can't exist in the same world. So nobody liked it. If you went thinking it was a it wasn't if you went thinking it was B, it wasn't. It was also nobody not likes that. it. Right. Nobody went to see it. So there you go. That's 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 the main problem. Uh. I did not realize it was weeks back-to-back weeks with Jurassic Park. That makes so much sense. And to their defense, it's kind of like when people refuse to do action figures for Star Wars. I'm like, well, yeah, if I heard about that, Mm. if someone told me about this universe and what was happening, I'd be like, that feels risky to make action figures around Jurassic Park if you hear the concept of it. um, That feels like a weird concept. But if you saw a single trailer... The right. trailers alone for Jurassic Park mm. were like, I, I they'd make you in in today's time I want to go see the movie. So, okay, so remember this: that the same idiots who won't pay the writers the money now and think, oh, we'll just have ChatGPT write all the movies. Those same idiots were also idiots back then, or if not. The people now, that was their boss then who told them everything they know about. how the world works, kids. So producers are idiots. Never trust a producer. They always suck at everything. So that's the main thing is the producers made this movie tank. Like in every way, this could have been a a much better movie than it was. I don't know if it would be a good movie. But it could have been a much better movie than it turned out to be. um, Except for the producers decided, no, I'm sorry. You have three weeks to do an edit of this. And That's it really did almost why it was so boring and frustrating was it was just like once you got a little bit into it, you were like, Oh, you're just not gonna lean into any of the stuff that could have made it good. There are some mm-hmm. really good like there are some really good jokes in it. There are mm-hmm. there are really good moments, but like mm-hmm. it, you could tell pretty early into this that like there wasn't gonna be any any save saving this. Like Yeah. That at no point was this going to turn turn in the direction that you kind of needed it. Right. Um, real long. <laughs> so uh, the uh, the first thing that I want to talk about in the viewing of it is the soundtrack still kicks ass. Yes. It was one of the best. Every movie like this in the 90s had to have like a star-studded uh, soundtrack. Um, this one... Um, was went platinum like even the movie sucked people still bought the soundtrack um so uh the the first one is what the hell have i 
from uh, Alice in Chains, which is still one of their best songs they ever did. Um, and it only ever appeared on this soundtrack. Um, uh, I, uh, uh, be, being a child of the 90s, uh, like begged my dad for a CD burner um, so that I would like take all of my favorites, like soundtracks and stuff. I'm like, okay, well, this song is by this artist. So I'm going to lift that from this soundtrack and like burn it onto a CD that has all of their best stuff and everything. And I have most of the stuff I listened into the car in high school was all burned CDs. You are so, talking to mm. the first girl in her fifth grade class to have mm. a CD burner. Mm. I was not a popular kid. Mm. I was popular for a very small time period when people realized <laughs> that I could get my colored verbatim CDs and put mm. whatever songs I wanted and illegally mm. downloaded probably from Napster or LimeWire. Mm-hmm. Onto mm-hmm. those CD burner game mm-hmm. changer. Mm-hmm. It's like if you yeah. had playlists on Spotify, but you didn't have Spotify, you could right. put them on CDs. They were called. This, this is not somehow the 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 most out of date uh, uh, music discussion that will happen during <laughs> this review. Um, so uh, the it's what have I is playing? There's all these cop cars. There must be I don't know 150 cops. All there, and I'm thinking, you think you brought enough guys? Like it's it's just a lot, a lot of people. You had a few people, um, right? So this is also this is a weird thing. The weird thing the movie does, uh, they cast Frank McRae as Captain Decker. Frank McRae is a former NFL football player um, who got his break a big break in, in movies. The most famous role he played was as the police captain in Forty Eight Hours. Um, uh, Big black guy yelled all the time. Um, And this movie is parodying that character with the same actor who played that character, which might be interesting and avant-garde, except they did the exact same thing with the exact same character actor lampooning the same character four months earlier with the movie Loaded Weapon 1 where Frank McRae played a blowhard yelling black police captain. Um, But that movie was a straight up parody. It was a parody of Lethal Weapon. This movie is, but is also a satire of it, which is also an homage to it. None of the right tones were struck, but this guy is, it's so weird to have to be, you really got to make it a real inside joke if you hire Frank McRae to play the the stock character that he created from from a movie that came out a much better movie that came out twelve years earlier, it's so odd that they did that. A weird yeah. call for sure. Um, uh, especially because it was he played the same character even better in Loaded Weapon One, which I don't need, that was a movie nobody remembers. Um, they so anyway, we gotta we gotta we're gonna set a perimeter, nobody in or out. Uh, but the guy who go, who goes in is uh, is a, a guy who's walking across the tops of police cars, uh, wearing stonewashed jeans and a and a pair of rattlesnake boots. Uh, pan up, he's wearing a red shirt and a and a and a leather um, leather jacket, brown leather jacket. Uh, the the joke later is that this is literally the only outfit he owns. He owns multiple outfits of it, but is it is that that's it's his it's his costume. It's a stock costume. Um, and uh, that's not a joke that actually really ever lands. It's just it's just a weird thing that they do. That's not a that's not a thing you're 
you're not that's not a thing that happens in the movies that you're trying to make fun of or parody or do an homage to. Nobody has like a stock outfit that they wear, maybe like one jacket or one pair of boots. They're the same, like head to toe. It's the same thing he wears in in every scene and also in every movie. Uh, it's just a weird thing to do. Uh, the, the movie doesn't know what it is. Yeah, it doesn't know if it's in or out of being a movie even. Like yeah. that, that's kind of the bummer of it. Um, but yeah, he has the Doug funny wardrobe where it's the same over and over and over Yeah, again. exactly. And it works for like, like half hour animated stuff. Because sure. kids need to be able to immediately identify when they watch something. That is this person, you know. But we don't need that because, you know, we have uh, fully formed brains. Um, Correct. Um, no. Hey, R.I.P. Yeah, not us. Not <laughs> us particularly, but, you know, adults. Um, hey, R.I.P. Tina Turner, uh, who was yeah. who was in this in a very smart little cameo. This turned out to be her last film role. She didn't do anything after really? this. Yeah. Um, but she plays the mayor of Los Angeles and she's trying to talk, um, uh, um, Jack Slater, Arnold Schwarzenegger from going into the building. Um, Hey, this is the Lieutenant governor and he hits him. He punches him in the face says when the governor gets here, call me. Um, so, um, there's a, a guy, we, we infer this on the roof, um, Damn you, Ripper! Let the children go," says Frank McRae. Um, so we don't. This is a it's, uh, whatever. He 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 goes up like to to the to the front of the building. Uh, the captain has radioed a SWAT guy at the front. Whatever you do, don't let him in the building. Um, uh, and he um, he comes up to him and says, "Hey, you want to be a farmer? Here's a couple of acres," and he kicks him in the balls. Which is like, in no way is that a joke. Like, you want to be a farmer, here's a couple of acres. Oh, get it, acres, things that ache, two of them, i.e. your balls, but also a play on words like acres. Like, like a plot like of a land. Tra- like a plot of land. That's not a joke. That's just, that's just dumb. Um, whoever, like, honestly, that's a really bad joke. Um, so he kicks him in the balls, and then uh, he crushes the... <laughs> He's already thrown his badge away. He doesn't care about the badge. He crushes the uh, uh, walkie-talkie. He goes up to the roof, and he's um, he's there. And we see uh, the villain, uh, who is uh, played by Tom Noonan, um, who played the villain in the first Hannibal Lecter movie, not with Anthony Hopkins, the one that came out five years prior to that, called Manhunter. He was the villain in that. Um, and uh, he's got fake teeth. Burn scars. He's wearing chain mail and a rain slicker. He's got a giant axe. Um, and uh, and uh, uh, Schwarzenegger is like, yeah, how's he hurt you, Andrew? Uh, no, Dad, I'm fine. So this is where we find out that he's been going up to the top to the roof to like rescue his own child. Like, there's a bunch of other kids up there, but it's his own child, this eight year old boy. Um, so this is all as dumb as it all is. This all is pretty well in line with 80s uh terrible 80s action movies uh, yeah and the, the extremely bad, the bad, well shot like extremely yes. well shot um all the characters are very stock but they all feel like they're these are real people that exist in, in in an action movie world and then he says okay jack lose the cannon so he drops his gun any any other guns yeah that's all of them no i don't think so we all what else so then he drops like 17 guns 
which is which is your first to oh this is a parody but like it doesn't strike the like the tone of that like if it like okay the movie's serious for the first two and a half minutes now it's a parody for everything after that no there's just this one parody joke in this scene that doesn't belong in it um and it doesn't so like, fit like i kept thinking of um there's a scene in the office where dwight is told to get rid of his weapons because he shot someone um yes. And the you have to I feel like the the pacing of how you do something like this is you need either like a pregnant pause and then the seventeen guns fall out of nowhere, mm-hmm. or you need it like how that scene is done where it's just like, and here, mm-hmm. and here, mm-hmm. <laughs> and this just doesn't. To your point, the tonality is off, and then we don't really get parody kind of the rest of the movie on this. Unfortunately, no, no, no like there, but there there is a bunch of parody, but it's not done as a parody. It's done as like. An, yes. inside, an inside joke, which is not the same thing as a parody. Anyway, um, um, he like he throws a, a live grenade at the feet of the Ripper and his son. And the Ripper, thank God, Calls is not stupid. <laughs> it's like, there's no way that's a live grenade because you're not going to sacrifice your own kid to get to me. It's very flattering, uh, but it's not happening. Um, pick up, pick up the, the, the grenade. Grenade, Andrew. So the kid picks it up, um, and then the kid hits a little button on it, which a little two-inch blade comes out the bottom of the grenade, and he stabs the Ripper in the leg. And then uh, uh, Jack Slater dives for the gun, and the Ripper throws the, the axe, which narrowly misses him. And as he rises to, to shoot the Ripper, um, the movie goes out of focus. We realize now we're actually watching a movie within the movie, and here we meet Danny Madigan. Um Unfortunate owner of the worst haircut in the history of film. Um, it's a it's a really bad, it's a distractingly bad haircut. Um, and uh, also a terrible uh, child actor. Kind of ruins the whole thing because they they make the whole movie. The movie has to has to rely on him to be great, and he's not that bad. But he's like a fourth or fifth most important character in the movie tops and he is the whole movie the whole movie revolves around him and they also really don't know what tone they're striking with him that like there's there are four different scripts that i was able to see parts of uh online they all have his peg his age as of something different from nine to 13 and those are honestly that's a very that's a crazy age range for 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 pre and post pubescent boys like at nine, he doesn't give a shit about girls. Honestly, he really doesn't. No, they're at thirteen. Gross. That's all he can think about. <laughs> at, like just for example of how a boy sure. transitions from nine to thirteen. So I don't. I, feel I mean, like you're they were, you're talking fourth to seventh grade, right? Yeah, that's I, you're I, different. very different. And also, like a nine year old walking around uh, Manhattan, especially the Manhattan they created for this movie, people would go like, "What?" 13 people might be okay. He's, he's, he's one of, you know, that's okay. It's a weird thing. And because this movie shoots pages from all of these different scripts, you might have a script, a page from the script where he's nine. And then the next scene, it's the scene from a, from the script where he's 13 and you never know how that all. And that's, that's a, that's a big problem for this movie. Um, but he yeah, he's there watching this thing. He yells focus. He goes up. And nobody can help him. There's nobody else in the theater. The guy who sells popcorns asleep. So he goes up to the projection booth where he, we meet um, Robert Prosky, who's Nick. And Robert Prosky uh, is the nicest man in the world. 
Uh, we saw him in um, in Gremlins 2, the new batch. Um, yes, we did. Uh, and uh, But in the original script, the spec script sold by those two uh, first-timers, he's the devil. <laughs> he's okay. the devil. Which is why he's which was why he's called Nick because that's the the old Nick uh, was the old, okay, the old yeah. The, yeah so but that's not it couldn't be less the devil in this movie um so uh hey um <clears throat> I'm screening the print I gotta check the print for the new Jack Slater movie that's coming out um and uh, you want to come by at midnight tonight to you know, nine or 13 year old boy, would you like to sneak out of your mom's house uh, to watch this movie at midnight with me? I'm definitely not a pedophile. Don't worry about it. No, um, don't. Uh, <laughs> but so, I have a question, um, an actor, yeah. an actor question. Mm-hmm. Um, at what point in the process was, were you cast? Cause if you get offered a script, it has to play the devil. And then you end up with this. Like, did they have a fundamental direction that you were going before, or like? I I feel like by the time they were casting this, they had they had abandoned. They had the kind original. of gutted the concept, at least. Okay. The original the original concept was kind of done. Um. Uh. But um. But you know, you could be cast as something, and like they could change the direction they're going, and they may recast because of it. You know what I mean? Sure. Um. Oh, Ogre says, uh, uh, Ogre here uh, says, uh, this is a fun, these are fun to watch. So a bit support to help keep going. A couple movies I would like to see you do. Adventures in Babysitting, the original, never saw the remake, didn't know there was a remake. That's from me. And Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Adventure in Babysitting I haven't seen in a very long time. I I don't think I ever saw Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. That sounds like something I couldn't watch. <laughs> no, it's definitely not. It is not a horror movie at all. I know that part. Um, so... Oh, he says, hey, do you, do you, do you know there's going to be a new Jack Slater movie? There, he's watching Jack Slater 3, a movie that came out three years ago in an old rundown theater uh, in the Times Square before Giuliani was mayor. So they didn't round up all the homeless and the hookers and kick him out. Um, it's, yeah, this is uh, next to a peep show for sure. <laughs> yeah, and definitely. I think that that location is now an M&M store. So um, it's, it's definitely not the same... Times don't go looking for this landmark when you go to New York uh, <laughs> next week. Um, so, um, he, he says, uh, "Oh yeah, oh, are you kidding me? Um, they killed his second cousin. Big mistake." Jack Slater four. Uh, and so the 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 um, what do you call it? The you know catchphrase of Jack Slater. Big mistake. Big mistake. Um, that's it's a it's a real it's a real big mistake. It's a real big mistake to 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 have us review a movie where the catchphrase is big mistake because I get to use this a lot. Um so uh, he goes to school. He walks to school um and um <clears throat> oh, on the way out he sees the picture of uh, introducing Meredith Caprice in Jack Slater 4 as Whitney. Um this is one of those weird things of like when we get to the other the idea, the other near the end of the movie, you'll find that there's a bunch of like real actors playing themselves who are in the Jack Slater movie. Uh, not the least of which is Arnold, but other things as well. I don't understand why Bridget Wilson, 
is playing Meredith Caprice, who is playing Whitney Slater. Why not just say yes. Bridget Wilson is like if Bridget Wilson is hot. He could have the hots for Bridget Wilson. Why? Why are we doing the weird like middle woman where Bridget Wilson plays Meredith Caprice, who plays Whitney Slater? Yeah, that's that weird. That's a. That's a. It, again, the movie doesn't know what the hell it's doing. Um. So uh, <clears throat> he um he he goes to school. He's four hours late to school. Uh, and um we we get uh this his teacher who again is either teaching fourth grade or seventh grade um <laughs> about is like says treachery, conspiracy, sex, sword fights, madness, ghosts, and in the end everybody dies. Hamlet is Shakespeare's great action uh action movie. Um I this is, hope it's fourth grade and they're talking mm, to them about Hamlet. Uh, me too. <laughs> me too. Uh, or even fifth or sixth. Um but yeah. uh this guy does not strike me as like honors English type of kid. So no. like anyway. Hamlet's probably um, like high school realistically, right? I mean he's no he's I'm I'm pretty sure they actually settled on twelve. You know what I mean? Like ish, okay. like not quite, but because of so many of the other things. But he's not high school because the 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 actor no, Hamlet him, probably should be. No. no. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I get you. Um, the uh, the actor who played him was eleven when they made the movie. So, yeah, it's weird. Um, anyway, so he says, "Let me show you this scene from the Laurence Olivier version of Hamlet on a film strip." In, in my class. And uh, uh, funny thing is, they got Joan Plowright to play the teacher uh, who is married to Laurence Olivier, um, which is a fun little th- behind the scenes thing. Uh, also, uh, probably most famous for kids of our age, she played Mrs. Wilson in the Dennis the Mo- Menace movie. Um, ah, but, but, okay. but also uh, had an Oscar nomination uh, under her belt when she did this uh, one scene. Um, yeah, uh, but anyway, so this is the one scene in the entire movie that came from the original script is him watching Hamlet, the Laurence Olivier Hamlet, and daydreaming about what if Arnold was Hamlet. And it's honestly one of the most inspired things in the movie <laughs> is, yeah. is like the way that they it's all in black and white, but except for like certain things are, sh- are, are, are in color. The, yeah, uh, uh, the Claudius, you killed my father. Big mistake. And he throws him through a stained glass window, and the, as he crashes through it, the stained glass goes from gray to all color. Uh, when he lights the c- cigar, the flame is all color. Um, he starts shooting all these guards with Uzis, and the, and the guy says, something is rotten in the state of Denmark, and Hamlet is taking out the trash. Um... And then we get Polonius says, stay thy hand, fair prince. Who said I'm fair? And he shoots him. Uh, and um, to be, or not to be, not to be. And the whole thing explodes. Um, and it's the, it's the like, it's it, honestly, clever. it's a clever little gag. Um, uh, it feels like um, Arnold is having fun doing it. It's the, it's one of the most clever things in the movie. Uh, and it was like in the script that they said, no, nah, get this thing the hell out of here. Let's have 12 other people write this and never agree on what movie they're doing. Um, so uh, this is where we meet his uh, Danny Madigan's mom, uh, who is uh, played by Mercedes Rule, the mom from Big. Uh, and um, 
This is where we get a little neat and tidy exposition delivery. Like, what are you doing cutting school? I'm trying to make this work for us. You think I wanted this? You think I you think I said to myself, hey, let me try out being a widow before before I'm 40. Let's see how that would be. You know, he and he realized, okay, your 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 exposition through sarcasm, mom, has made me feel really bad and and sad. So I'm very sorry. Um and uh and so she says, okay, I gotta go to work. But you lock you lock the lock on this door as soon as I leave, because because there's lots of we live in the most crime and filth-ridden apartment in all of Manhattan. Um, feels like you could have found a cheaper place to live. Um, on the outskirts, not, perhaps. not yeah. in Manhattan. I'm just saying. Right. Yeah. Uh, try Queens. Queens. Uh, yeah, perhaps like in New Jersey. There's maybe. Of, yeah. Um. So uh, he he asked. He waits. He does his homework. It's a. He's supposed to go to the theater by midnight. Um. So uh, it's like eleven twenty-five, and he decides I'm going to go. He's a jumped by a junkie as soon as he sets foot out in the hallway. Uh, so I guess all those locks were a good thing. Um, but the junkie comes in like I'm going to I'm going to stab you with this switchblade knife. Um, where like where's where's all the stuff? Uh, and he's like chain date here's chain your uh, oh, I'll give you this knife. Take your best shot, kid, because that's what junkies usually do. They like to prove a point about how they're more of a man than a nine-year-old. Uh, but of course, they ooh, usually wait his... in the hallway to jump a child to prove a is... point to them. Right. Um, but this is the thing: is that uh, he does that. This is a thing that happens later, where we, we're not sure if if, if young uh, Danny Madigan is enough of a man to kill somebody. Yes. And the movie seems to imply that he should be at this age. Yeah, of course. He should probably he should probably kill somebody. What, what are you waiting for, kid? Yeah, uh, come on, come on, like, come on, pop pop your cherry. Let's if let's you're go. Gonna be a teenager at thirteen, and you're twelve now or eleven now. Right, you got to right. start now. Right, so man up. He he doesn't. <laughs> back he, when he, switchblades were men. Back back when <laughs> back when junkie muggers were men. Um. So uh, uh, he um. He doesn't uh, kill the j- junkie, and the junkie says, "Okay, I won't kill you either. Just chain yourself to this pipe with this uh, with the handcuffs." And then he goes to the house. Like, there's no jewelry, no cash, no VCR, a shit TV that'll get me twenty bucks. Uh, and then he throws the the key in the toilet and says, "Go fishing." Uh, and then, cut to the kid has fished out the the, the handcuff. I don't think he's, his arms were long enough to get to that toilet from where he was. He but had anyway. to have go go gadget arms for sure. Yeah, uh, he got the key. He was able. Anyway, the next thing we see is him at in in the police station with the least helpful police policeman ever. It's like <laughs> anyway, so uh, yeah, if we catch the guy, we'll call you. Uh, we talked to your mom. She says to go right home and um, me go to bed. Um, also, not helpful, mom. Who can't, who can't, like, walk, you just got mugged. Walk Walk home from the police station to our house that has been, to our apartment has been ransacked. Broken into, yep. Stay there and wait for me. Also not helpful, the mom's boss who won't let her off her shift as a waitress at midnight to go and, and take care of a kid who got mugged in his own apartment. But basically, the movie is saying the real world sucks. The real world is terrible. You're um, on your own, kid. Yeah, you're on your own, kid. Um, 
So he doesn't go home. He goes to the Pandora Theater. It's the first time we ever noticed it's called the Pandora Theater. Whoa, open Pandora's box. It's a metaphor. Um, so then he, he meets up with Nick, and Nick gives him the most ridiculous fucking monologue about how um, my dad was a bookkeeper here. He gave me my first job, like uh, cleaning up or whatever. This place was the Vaudeville Theater then. A lot of exp uh, exposition. I always wanted to be a magician. Anyway, one time Harry Houdini played here, and my dad brought him brought me backstage to meet him. He was like a god to me. Anyway, he gave me this this ticket. It was is a magic ticket. Um, I just met you, and you are not connected to me in any way, <laughs> child, except for you are the son of the bookkeeper of this theater I am playing on a no doubt two hundred stop tour for Harry Houdini. But this is the per magic ticket I'm going to get you. It was given to me by the greatest magician in India. It was given to him by the greatest magician in Tibet. And now I'm going to give it to you. Again, child I just met and have no connection to. By the way, Harry Houdini died in 1926. Robert Prosky, the actor playing Nick, was born in 1930. I don't know how old the character of Nick is, but he would have had to have been in his 90s for this to work out properly. So ask me if I like this monologue, Kate. It makes no fucking sense. The the honestly the the, the writers of the original script. Um, <laughs> no, we're not going to gloss over that. <laughs> no, I'm telling the writers of the original script hated this part of the movie. The magic ticket. Of course they, they, they did. They hated it. They're like, what? What is what a magic ticket? What the hell? What in the how does that make in the chocolate factory any sense? It doesn't, um, and it's as far as abandoning the original concept too. I feel like the original concept was supposed I mean, to be so. Well, the, this, the this is the most egregious, maybe use the, of that, right? Like the um, the the magic that got him into the into the movie in the original script was that the ticket taker was the devil who just yeah. like magicked him into the script into the movie, which is a lot better, than, I guess, than a magic ticket. Um, in a, a yeah. perversion of the original concept, um, um, it, it it was stark. It was mm. to, the the no connection part was really what got me here. <laughs> um, so I was always too scared to use the ticket. What if it worked? What if it didn't work? Anyway, here you use it on this random thing. Let's. He also tears the ticket in half. Like this is a like you could sell. Like just wait a few years if you survive that long because you're in your nineties. Wait a few years until eBay becomes a thing and sell a ticket given to you by Harry Houdini sometime in the early twenties. Like what are you doing tearing it in half? This is ridiculous. But he tears it in half because you need the other <laughs> half of the ticket. So the end of the movie, the terrible, horrible end of the movie works. But he tears the ticket in half. Says, "Please retain your stub, sir." And then they show him the beginning of the movie. The kid is in there by himself. They start watching the movie. "Angry Again" by Megadeth is the beginning of Jack Slater Four. "Angry Again" also the unofficial theme of Sour Graps. Um, this is where we see two old pros in the movie within a movie: Anthony Quinn uh, and Art Carney doing a scene. On, yes. on on the back terrace of the most beautiful house in the history of the world, uh, right on this cliff overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Um, 
And uh, he's like, uh, hey, I, what I you think I do not know? You are Jack Slater's favorite second cousin. Again, every time you do the favorite second cousin thing, like I, I'm sure I have second cousins. I've never really met any of them. Um, but like they're elsewhere all over the planet at this point. Um, I don't have a favorite. It, like my, my wife has second cousins. But like I don't know if like if the way that they just call him a cousin when you call the second cousin it's, it's a weird thing that is, is a device to to make it like seem like you're clever it's just weird um so uh he he says you he you tell to tell each other everything um does he know says Anthony Quinn to Art Carney that I that my mob, he said, that my mob is joining forces with Torelli's mob to take over the entire gu- drug trade of Southern California. And Art, Art Carney is like, no, no, that specific thing never, never came up in conversation. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, um, uh, you're, you're going to have to listen. Listen, I don't know. You're going to have to shoot me. And then a bullet hits the tree right next to Art Carney, and we travel. We follow where the bullet was. It was in the gun of this very long-barreled gun held by a man sitting over on the thing. Uh, and he looks over, and he's got a glass eye with a little target on the red bullseye um, on his thing. Hey, this man over here, uh, he's a killer. His name is Benedict. Um, uh, um, what I he sometimes he likes to bake. Well, he's killing people, which is not a thing. It's like it's to set up a really bad joke, but it has no bearing on the rest. One thing of like, hey, this guy's a, a, a hired hitman who's also a gourmand baker. Like he bakes the most beautiful tarts you've ever seen in his life. But that doesn't actually happen in the movie. I'm willing to bet that's a scene from a different script they didn't shoot. Anyway, um, he says, the, what I'm trying to say is he could kill you as easy as cake. And then uh, 40 feet away, uh, we hear we they, uh, uh, easy as pie, you Sicilian schmuck. Um, so he's got a, he's got a problem with malapropisms. Uh, old Tony Vivaldi, played by Anthony Quinn. Um, uh, and so um, he comes over and he says to Benedict, uh, "Listen, drop him off at at his place. He actually bought it. He actually bought that. I'm going to start working with the Torelli mob. It's perfect." Um, this movie also, some of the scripts seem to think that it is Tony Vivaldi's idea to murder Jack Slater. Other scripts seem to think it's trying to trick Jack Slater into thinking that he's working with the Trevelli mob when he really isn't. And a third set of scripts, by the way, they shot pages from all these scripts, seems to think that he's actually trying to recruit Jack Slater to become a dirty cop and go on the payroll for him. But you can't be doing all of these things in the same story. So no, it does none of it make sense, you know? And then it makes sense. Yes, it's not very good. Yeah. Um, so Jack Slater arrives at his second cousin Frank's house. Uh, and there's a bunch of cops who were there. There's a, a tip that it might be a crack house. Uh, the only drugs you're going to find in there are aspirin. Uh, so he goes in there, and it's, uh, it's Art Carney, bound and gagged, uh, his last movie also, by the way. And uh, he's like, Jack, listen, it's very important. Uh, the Vivaldi mob is joining forces with the Sorelli mob. I just had to wait long enough to be alive when I next saw you. 
so I could give you that in information, which doesn't actually have any value at all. And now I'm going to die. And then he does. Um, and then there's a little cards stapled to his chest, stapled, clipped to his chest. Um, and he opens them up and it says, it says Slater. And he starts shuffling them. It says five, puts it on one, four, three, two. So they set up a bomb to go off to blow up the, the, the cousin Frank house and also Slater. Um, uh, so wait, are you trying to, you, you, you gave Art Carney fake information to mislead Jack Slater while also trying to assassinate Jack Slater. If he's dead, what is the fake information for? And if he's, if he's got the information, once you give him the fake information, that's to give, get him to do something, but he can't do if he's dead. Like, it was a ruse for the sake of a ruse. Um, there is a, a giant explosion, and the kid who knows all the tropes says after the explosion, "Ah, oh, he's he's fine. Minor minor injury. Both cops dead, and that actually happens." And the kid is very smug and uh, self satisfied. And then there is a a car chase because it wasn't enough to blow up the house with Jack Slater in it. You got to send a pickup truck, a vintage pickup truck with a bunch of goons in it carrying Uzis to chase uh, Jack Slater. Again, this is perfectly fine thing that would happen in any 80s action movie. Uh, this car chase with a bunch of goons and, and throwing dynamite at him. Um, the operative uh, word being this, because soon enough, right. a lot of things that would never happen in an action movie start happening, and that's where it lost me. Best, this was uh, fine. Best song on the soundtrack, Big Gun by ACDC, playing through this whole thing. Fun fact, it was Arnold Schwarzenegger who went to ACDC himself and requested a song specifically written for this soundtrack, and they said, great. Um, hey, We've seen photos. Uh, that's a really big gun that you're carrying in the course of the movie. And Arnold Arnold says, well, yes, it actually is a 44 Ruger, the largest handgun ever conceived. Um, and they said, great, we're going to write a song called Big Gun. And they did. And it's a good song. It's a bop. Um, during the whole car chase, Big Gun is playing. And during, it's a 1969 Pontiac Bonneville convertible. It's beige for some reason. You would think it would be red, but it's beige. Um, so Beige they throw, they're throwing dynamite, doing? they're throwing dynamite at him, uh, as he's running away and he turns around and shoots the dynamite out of the sky. It doesn't explode because physics don't have any bearing here, but he shoots it out of the, the screen into the theater. And Danny sees it rolling. Uh, he drops his popcorn on it and he runs toward the screen away from the thing. Um, the there's an explosion which blows him forcefully into the movie. So when they go back into that exact same theater at the end of the movie, there is no explosion damage. So I don't know if like the the like the fake dynamite that traveled into the real world doesn't explode, or if they forgot, it's a bad. Maybe movie. they just did a lot of remodeling in a very short amount of time it could be um, they restored it to its former glory so danny lines up at the back of arnold's car he's like who are you where how did you get here um and it's like just keep your head down kid and he's shooting and shooting um and he's shooting without without driving he's like turned around fully shooting with both hands you're not you're not even using your hands to drive you think it's easy you got to practice a long time um and then he he shoots one guy 
who like flies through the air and lands, uh, crashes through and into an ice cream truck. The truck explodes because I guess the guy had a bomb strapped to him. I don't know. And then a a a, 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 a an ice cream cone flies through the air and and impales itself in the back of some guy's head because ice cream cones can do that, don't you know? Of course. Um, That's how ice cream and, works. And then and then he goes ice that guy to cone the phrase. Uh, which is not as bad as the ice puns that we got in Batman and Robin, which happened only four years after this. Um, you know so, who, who did that idea extremely well? And this kind of fails here. When forgetting Sarah Marshall, like when Sarah Marshall was in the terrible Law and Order ripoff shows that she was in, mm-hmm. they did those so well. These ones, I was just like, not good. Right. Not good. And I'm a pun enthusiast. Um, the uh the, the kid goes, Oh my god, the the action, the, the char chase, the, the bad puns. I'm in the movie. I don't know how this happened, but I'm in the movie. Um then uh Arnold reaches down onto the, the side the bench seat next to him and uh, without really looking, um puts a mini disc in the Sony mini disc player, which is connected to his car stereo and like there would there would there would be a a a window of about i'm gonna say conservatively 30 months where this would have been a thing where they were trying to get over the idea of mini disc players in cars um and it is very emblematic of that ridiculous time period in technology um the college that I went to for undergrad in this time period, somebody sold them on the idea, this is the future of, of audio technology. Sure. So they, they overhauled their entire sound design system into being mini disc stuff. So I had to like, when I was doing sound design projects, I had to do everything on mini disc, which let me tell you is not, Fun and I can only imagine by the time that like iPods became a thing, like four or five years later, how they had to like completely get rid of all that shit that they bought in 1993 and then then put everything else back in. Good rule of thumb. If there's a technology and things about it are getting smaller, wait a minute because it might just turn into Mm -hmm. streaming. Right. (laughs) That's true. That's very true. Um, so, uh, they get away from the guys. There's a, there's a van with a giant machine gun inside it. And, um, that van, uh, they go into the LA river and then jump themselves out of it. Um, but then the van jumps itself out of it, um, and, uh, goes flying through the air and it looks the most fake that that's the special effects have ever looked. Um, and then explodes. And the reason is, is because it only had three mo- three weeks in, in post in to post. do a special effects shot, which is why all the special effects in this look so bad. Um, so uh, it's like, I'm sorry, I threw up in your car, sir. I thought I was going to die. Oh, no, you, you're going to live to enjoy all the fruits that life has to offer. Acne, shaving, premature ejaculation, and your first divorce. Um I don't know why you're talking to this kid you just met, who for all you know is nine, about premature ejaculation. Why is this a thing in the script? 
That one was weird. That one was um, weird. I liked the idea. And then you throw that in there, that's weird. But Bluetooth.com could fuck well. Uh, he, they end up stuck at the end of this alleyway. And he goes, and he says to the kid, again, he just met, does this suck weenie or what? And so they play chicken with the other vehicle involved in the car chase. And that guy, because he, because they, they play chicken, you know, um, in every, every Slater movie, obviously swerves because the bad guys never win. Um, and one guy that's the, the, the car explodes into flames while it's flying through the air for no reason and then crashes through the side of a building into what I can only describe as a scantily clad girl convention. Like, I don't know what this thing is supposed to be. Is it a place of business? Like, is it a party somebody's throwing? Why, why are all these women around half nude? Oh, because it's a movie and therefore anything can happen. You know? Yeah. I like yeah. the scantily clad girl convention. Because uh, they have like, they have, they have like the board awards or whatever. Just scantily clad is great though. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so then they, they show up at the, at the police station and as they're walking, they get a valet at the police station because it's a movie and they walk up and as they're walking in, it's Sharon Stone from Basic Instinct and the T-1000 from Terminator 2. Uh, and Danny immediately recognizes these people as being from other movies, which again is not the movie that you're telling. He is in a specific movie that Sharon Stone and Robert Patrick are not in, nor would they be playing the characters from those movies in this movie. This now is starting to ver- verge onto inside jokes, which is not quite parody, but it's also not the movie you've been telling. Correct. So there's a very strong difference here. Um, so also, uh, hey, hey, uh, hey, Slater, it's your ex-wife on two. Uh, oh, she's always calling me. And then he puts a cassette player and he puts the phone to it. So it's just him going, yeah, yeah, that's right. Of course. Well, you're always right. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, sure. All right. Um, and so that's ah, it's a clever joke about, you know, not wanting to talk to your ex-wife. Um, uh, then we get um, F. Murray Abraham, who shows up and says, hey, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice. Practice, you old son of a gun. Hello. Um, and they have a like his he's a guy who used to be a cop, but now he works for the CIA and he's he's stationed in Washington. He's an old buddy of 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 Slater. This is all a, a lot of exposition in like three sentences. Um and so then he he goes off uh and he says, um, and then he, uh, then Danny says to Arnold, Hey, watch out, he killed Mozart. Um he what? I'm, like, is that supposed to be some in a movie? Amadeus, it won eight Oscars. Like, I don't know how why this kid's watching Amadeus. If he's if he's if the kid is into action movies, why would he have watched Amadeus? But also, I don't know if you know this, but F. Murray Abraham is playing an actor called Murray Josephson, who is playing John Practice. So Practice didn't kill Amadeus. F. Murray Abraham did, but it's never ex- like said that that it is F. It's a oh, this movie has no fucking idea what it is. I'm so no, angry. No, it's I just love. so chaotic. It's so, so chaotic. I'm so angry at myself for spending so much of my life liking it. Um, 
so the, there's a big desk in the middle of the, the, the giant room with this huge atrium where they're just partnering up people for the day because that's how it works, I guess. Uh, sure. We have we have a guy, a big fat guy named Euler, and a hot chick named Waterman. I wonder if they'll pale well, pair well together. Oil and water, yuck, yuck, yuck. Um, I'm like, hey, the rabbi, you're partnered up with Kraus, who's the most Aryan dude you've ever seen. But they're they're friends. Also, there's a cop who's called the rabbi. Um, then um, there's later they're like, oh, hey, uh, whatever your name is. You're partnered up with the animated cat. And it's an this animated cat. Is and where I was like, this isn't an action movie. Like, you're not satirizing an action movie anymore. No. no. There are, there's no Arnold Schwarzenegger movie with an animated cat buddy. Like, that's when I was just like, eh. The entire idea of the animated cat was came from Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, getting Denny DeVito to voice the animated cat came from Arnold Schwarzenegger. That there doesn't was no, surprise me. There's no animated cat in any script. It's just Arnold saying, we should make this more appealing to children. Let's put an animated cat in here. And credit credit to the script writers on set who were like, how do we make this work? Oh, that'll be it. The kid will recognize this has to be a movie if there's an animated cat in it, because the real world doesn't have animated characters cats walking back walking and forth. around. Yeah. And then the other cops are going, yeah, of course, it's Detective Whiskers. He's one of the best men on the force. Like, them no-selling it is a joke in of itself, but it is a joke from an entirely different movie. And that's the problem. The joke itself is solid. It Ugh. just belongs in an entirely different film. I was just... Just layer by layer was getting checked out on this, and then the animated cat thing annoyed me. Because you're um, right, like this this is a movie that has some great gags that fall apart entirely in the framework. Right. Um, there's uh, there's a scene where they don't they don't know why Danny Madigan knows everything, but they accept that he does. You know what I mean? Um, so I'll tell you what's going to have. This is your new partner, Jack Slater. And the kid, um, like he's he has knows all the tropes. We're perfect buddy cop material, but buddy movie material. Um, I'll teach you to be vulnerable, and you'll teach me to be brave, which is honestly how these things work. Um, in better movies that aren't that don't involve a nine year old, but um, but then he says, um, obviously this is a movie. If this was real life, they'd assign me to a social worker or something. Some kid. <laughs> Who's in who's in LA who wound up in the back of a cop's car who says he's from New York, but they can't find out, like they, they say there's no such address in New York. They decide to do a social worker. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and so you can't. Oh, hey, I know how I can prove to you it's actually a movie. Shoot me in the face. You can't do it because guys like you don't kill kids in movies. <laughs> Just I want there to, I want there to be an alternate cut of this movie that is about 48 minutes long where Jack Slater pulls out a gun and pulls the trigger. And that's it. Done. Uh, so um, I'll have 10 minutes to prove to me we're in a movie. So where do they go, Kate? 
don't We're say choosing. blockbuster don't say blockbuster video because they don't go to blockbuster video <laughs> i mean they do but they go to blockbuster video the sign on the door when they walk in well, says the- acme video all of the signage within within the place, the place says blockbuster video because they were they couldn't take down the blockbuster logos that like it would one thing if there was a blockbuster logo but they had just put over some tape over it that was the right color to not say blockbuster video after you prominently displayed on the door walking in acme video but they couldn't even bother to do that because this they had three weeks in post <laughs> But like, but it wouldn't. That wouldn't have been in post. That would have been during the shoot. You would have had you. I'm yeah, sure just you have like <laughs> a fleet of continuity people who just could we take out down that sign because this isn't blockbuster video. It whatever. I the, didn't. The, I don't think I realized the Acme thing on the way in. I just assumed. Yeah, what a nice Again. little blockbuster video. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did. They went to the trouble of putting a putting a sign on the on the door when they walk in that says Acme video. I did anyway. Um. So where where are the Schwarzenegger films? Foreign films are in the back. Because Arnold Schwarzenegger doesn't exist in this movie, in this universe. Jack Slater does. But Sylvester Stallone exists in this universe, and so do all the movies that Arnold made, except for they were all made by Sylvester Stallone. There's a big thing of Sylvester Stallone in Terminator 2. The funny part is Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger hated each other in real life. We're, we're, we're professional and real rivals. Oh, There's a story. The worst movie that Sylvester Stallone ever did, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, got the worst reviews and the worst box office. He only did it because he heard that Arnold wanted to do it and thought it would be a big hit. Arnold put that rumor in the trades to get Sly, to trick Sly into doing a stinker of a movie so that Arnold could do a movie that he knew Sylvester Stallone wanted to do. Ridiculous. First of all, incredible chess moves by Arnold Schwarzenegger that quite oh, frankly didn't think he's he was actually, capable of or cared enough about. He's a, he's a smart enough dude. Number two, I didn't know that. That's wild. Yep. Um, and number three, I actually thought this part was fun. Like it was just fun to see Sylvester Stallone. I didn't realize yep. all that backstory. That makes it even better. Mm-hmm. But, um, I that was a fun way to offset what yeah. they were trying to to set out to prove. That was pretty cute. Um, they like, "Hey, this girl here." I'll tell you why there's there's where there's no way that way we're definitely in a movie. That girl is way too attractive to be working in a video store, and it's Angie Everhart, the Playboy model. So yes, she is. But also, where are the unattractive women? Where are the normal, everyday, not model women? Which is which is true. Um, says I know how I can prove it to you. I'll tell you. I'll take you to where they where they uh, where they beat up and tortured your cousin Frank because I saw it in a movie. And they drive through the I don't know Beverly Hills, which is nowhere near the ocean. And they say, well, he's got it. It's hey, it's in there. That's got to be it. Um, uh, says uh, and then he does this ridiculous monologue about how you've just revolutionized police training. All those years of, of going to all those classes in criminal justice school when all I had to do was drive around the neighborhood, point to a house and say, the bad guys are in there. <laughs> and uh, he's sarcasm was never Arnie's strong suit. Let's no. be honest. Um, I feel like Arnold Schwarzenegger walked so The Rock could run to millions yeah. and millions and millions of That's dollars. True. Like Arnold had one lane. He did well when he stayed in it. 
deviating from it, not the best move and things like this. Um, But, uh, but yeah. Um, This is is both one of my favorite scenes and one of my least favorite scenes in the movie. (laughs) Um, Where they walk up uh, to the door of this giant mansion, uh, knock on the door, and uh, this guy who looks like Odd Job uh from 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 goldfinger walks up and he's like hello like hello is the drug dealer of the house in what we're we're driving around killing drug dealers are there any at home please and the guy smiles and closes the door and then they stand there for a bit and arnie starts to walk away uh and they turns around and he's like hey where are you going don't worry i'll be back you didn't know uh, I was going to say that, did you? Uh, uh, it's like, no, actually, I did. You kind of work it into every movie. Um, it's kind of your calling card. It's never explained to us where he was going. Because he just stands there and for another 15, for another five seconds and waits for the door to open again. Yeah. They, they, they shoehorned in a shoehorn of the line. Um, but <laughs> this is where this is where it is. Um, uh, Charles Dance, who plays Benedict, who is the best thing about this movie. Yes, because he like here's the thing. I don't know. I don't know what fucking movie the rest of them making. Charles Dance knew the assignment and played it perfectly. And that's I honestly he's the he's the reason I will I will always watch parts of this movie with with uh, with joy in my heart. Watching Charles Dance. Also, the funny thing is John McTiernan directed Die Hard. The studio wanted Alan Rickman, who was the villain in Die Hard, to play Benedict. And he was wary of being typecast as the bearded, well-spoken villain. So he said, he, he quoted a price they were not willing to match. If they, had, if they had paid him the money, he would have done it. But he said, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything less than that. And they wouldn't do it. So they got Charles Dance. Charles Dance, who is cheeky enough to show up to the first day of filming wearing a cheaper than alan rickman t-shirt because that's how great charles dance is um and so this this is um, he picked one of the scripts and stuck to it god bless him yeah he took a gamble Um, and like we'll see what gets made but this is the script i'm gonna do so so he (laughs) he he says um he's he's standing there's like hey hey that's that's better the henchman with the glass eye i was telling you about Excuse me, sir. Are you a henchman? Uh, no, I only go. I only go as far as lackey. Any other questions? Uh, is this such a great line? It was precious. Uh, so, yeah. Um, um, take off your sunglasses, please. Who's asking? The Tin Man, and he shows the the, the badge. Good line. Um, well, Tin Man, suppose you hit the bricks. Good line. Nah, they're the wrong color. Great line, because obviously they're going to be yellow, right? Here we go. <clears throat> ah, well, supposing we change them. Would arterial red suit you? Snaps his fingers. There's six Rottweilers. You're, you're reaching. Okay. Um, oh, make no mistake. They are exceptionally well-trained. Snaps his fingers again. And there's a dog pyramid. Which, again, is another fucking joke right. from another movie entirely. Like, that ruins the whole tenor of this entirely really good scene from an action movie. Okay, and it says, oh, "No, if I snap my fingers again, sometime tomorrow you will you will emerge, you and Toto will emerge from several canine recta." 
It's, it's, you're just you're, you're saying way too much. Like it's not his fault. He's a great actor. You've asked him to say way too much. Um, says um, is now any questions? Yes, two of them. As he lights a cigar, one, um, uh, or you and Toto can go back to the land of Oz. Uh, t- uh, I have two questions. Why am I bothering with you, with a with a dime store putz like you, when I could when I could be uh doing something much more dangerous like rearranging my sock drawers? And two, how are you going to snap your fingers after I rip off both of your thumbs? Like all he asks you, take off your sunglasses, and there's literally a minute and a half of dialogue with four really good lines in it and a bunch of really weird, weird. things in it, and then eventually. He does lower his sunglasses, and we see he's got a glass eye with a with a smiley face on it, and he says, "Have a nice day." And that's the end of the conversation somehow. So, like, um, are you a henchman? I only go so far as Lackey. Take off your sunglasses. He eventually does and says, "Have a nice day." That's the end of the questioning session. Like, <laughs> there was a, there was a good scene some somewhere in here. But they've they've ruined it. Also, it's so funny that that Arnold calls him a putch, a putz. And earlier in the thing, and and Danny Madigan refers to it again here. I says, um, hey, no, he was wearing a different glass eye earlier. It was a bullseye one, and he hates his boss. He calls him a Sicilian schmuck. Putz and schmuck are two incredibly Yiddish words. Like I know what they mean. I get the colloquialism of it but are not really used in a lot of conversation by people who, who aren't Jewish. Correct. Will, William Goldman is incredibly Jewish, <laughs> and he did a pass of the script. I'm willing to bet $1,000. He was the one who put them in here for two characters who are not remotely Jewish. I just said, here, it's fine. It's just, you know, it's okay. Um, so uh, My anyway, big takeaway then- from this was, man, Arnold Schwarzenegger is just not a very good actor. Like it. He's not. He's not. Um, Anthony Quinn, uh, Tony Vivaldi, is watching through the window as they leave. He says, how did Slater find out? You tell me. How did he find out? You told his second cousin and then left his beat-up second cousin at his second cousin's house with the intention of having his second cousin tell Jack Slater. That's how he found out. Yeah. That was that was one of your seven plans. <laughs> I'm sorry you can't keep track of all your plans. This is classic Dutch Vanderloo. <laughs> He's got a plan, uh, Alex. Then he says, I want him to join me, but he doesn't like bad guys. Why am I a bad... You want him to join you. This is never mentioned again. You want him to join you. That's a different thing. You tried to have him killed several times earlier today. What is... Okay. Um, so, um, Benedict, to his credit, doesn't care about any of this shit. He just wants to know why this kid knows so much about him. And so Fair. that's what he's focused on. Right. So they pull up to a house in Laurel Canyon. Um, uh, and... Um, <clears throat> He's like, uh, this is my ex-wife's house. I just wanted to walk up to the door and make sure she's not here before I go in. Like, oh, don't worry. She's not here. Um, her name wasn't in the, the credits. 
which is a which is a clever thing uh-huh. from like because because uh-huh. when I'm watching a movie, especially if it's a sequel, I'll check ahead to make sure if somebody from the other movies is going to show up because sure. that's my my brain. So the kid does it too. Okay, I can relate. Then he says, "Hey, he's like, um, hey kid, what is a doctor treat? Patience. The elbow on my jacket. What is it doing? Wearing thin." Bingo. And he walks away and the kid goes, well, that was a stretch. Now that's what's called lampshading, where you have the character like say something we're thinking about a really bad moment in the thing. Like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't make any fucking sense. This is bad script writing 101. Um, so this is where he walks, he knocks on the door and Bridget Wilson shows up. Uh, but he whips the door and, and this, this beautiful blonde woman kisses her. That's Bridget, Bridget Wilson. Like, uh, uh, you're not skeezy, are you? And then there's here's where we read all the information. This is the, the daughter. Again, the, most of the scripts I could find online reference her as being 16. But she explains to her dad that this is a sorority prank where they send you a freshman and you have to kiss him when you open the door. So if you're 16, you're probably not in a sorority. And if you are in a sorority, are you under the impression that 16-year-olds are tw- that that freshmen in college are 12? This is another thing where the movies don't make don't match up at all. So is it like uh why do we have her kiss the kid? Uh it's a sorority prank. Is it supposed to be 16? Listen, we'll fix it later. But they didn't have time to fix it later. It's just this um, convenient plot device happening here while she's in the shower or whatever. Um, oh, this money I have sitting out on a desk in my old wife's house, in my ex-wife's house. Um, it's uh, it's money from an old counterfeit case. Turns funny colors when you burn it. I had to tell you this because this is a convenient plot device. Um he, he mentions that he tried paying his wife's alimony with counterfeit money from an old cat. He seized evidence to pay his wife's alimony. Um, so then while putting it in a drawer, he sees a picture of uh, the kid from the movie within a movie we saw at the beginning. I should note in the scene we saw at the beginning of the movie, it turned the focus turned bad during the movie and then when they fixed the focus it was the credits so what we find out here is that in jack slater 3 the ripper gets shot by jack and then he pulls the kid as he's falling off the roof with him and the kid who is like eight falls to his death and that's haunted jack ever since because yeah of course but here's the thing if we're seeing what what happens in the movie is what was actually happens The last thing that happens in Jack Slater 3 is Jack shoots his mortal enemy in the chest, who then pulls with him off the roof Jack Slater's kid. Roll credits! Can you imagine sitting in the theater watching an action movie? And that's the last thing you see. I mean, it's a cliffhanger. It's a sad one. But my God. That is a downer of an ending. (laughs) That is a downer of an ending. Um... So so he, he has all this flashbacks and he has to go and buy a cigar because that's the only thing that calms him down or something. But he leaves. He says, you got a cigar, kid? No, I don't have a cigar. I got to go. Don't. He's like, uh, uh, and he says, I'll be back. And he leaves. 
And then the, 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 the hot chick comes out of the shower and she says, he would have been about your age. I know. Ripper t- pulled him off the roof. It was three years ago. How do you know so much? Oh, uh, you know, your dad's uh, ends up on all the papers. I'm into crime stories. Knock at the door. Says, that's probably skeezy. I'll get rid of him, says, says the man of the house, Danny Madigan. So he goes and uh, opens the door. It's not skeezy. It's Benedict with a bunch of henchmen. And they all come in and they lackeys. spread it over the entire house. Lackeys. Thank you, lackeys. Because if he's not a henchman, these guys definitely aren't henchmen. Correct. So, um, so anyway, uh, they 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 go and they 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 take. Uh, will you, Joey? Will you go and teach her the value of silence? Because she's screaming all the time. He takes her into her bedroom. So we'll we'll see that in a second. Then he starts. Well, he wants to talk to Danny Madigan. Takes takes the the the, the wallet. He's looking through it. Says um, <clears throat> uh, and I love I love Charles Dance. He says, I believe it was Sherlock Holmes who said uh, that if you eliminate all impossible ideas that the improbable though improbable must invariably be true so i know your name from this id i'm looking at how do you know mine uh mug shots although the kid's a really bad liar um says uh after this whole little um um uh interrogation which goes nowhere the kid says listen uh leave me and, and the girl alone there's some money in the drawer take it and just go uh We'll tell Jack you stopped by. Um, so uh, the, the 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 lackey opens the. Hey, hey, there's gonna be at least two thousand dollars in here, boss. Then he starts taking. It's like, uh, wait a minute, these um these bills are marked, aren't they? You were trying to suckle me, sucker me with marked bills. And says, uh, uh, burn it. He says to one of the lackeys. These bills are marked. Burn it. Like it, it's it that has to happen so the thing, the plot device happens, but there's no reason to do it. Also, to be honest, there's no reason for a roaring fire to be in the fireplace in Los Angeles. I don't know why that's there. Yeah, that's a good but, point. <laughs> but anyway, there is. And so um Lack Lackey throws the, the bills in there. As uh Jack uh, Slater is pulling up, he sees the smoke coming out of the chimney. Knows something must be up. So what does he do? Uh, he climbs on top of the roof. There's a knock at the door. The, the the they go over to see what it is. It's Skeezy who's standing there with his eyes closed, puckering up, wait to be kissed. Uh, like, hey, boss, who's this? And then jumps to the skylight is um is Arnold. Uh, who says hi, and he and he takes the two guys Uzis and shoots them at each other in the chest a hundred times. Kills a lot of people in this scene. Um, but no uh, the. Uh, yo, I forgot. There's a really cool scene actually, where the the daughter has been trained by Jack in like hand to yes. hand combat and everything. But I love that she continues screaming as though she's the one being hit, while she hits and beats up the guy in the room to like suck everybody out there. I thought that was I, I've never Very seen that clever. in a movie before or since, and I thought that that's really smart. Um, anyway. Um, doesn't matter, uh, cause, uh, he kills everybody except Benedict runs out, uh, and they get in the car and drive away. And then he, 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 uh, looks and sees she's got a black eye and now he's really mad. So, um, uh, he, he goes to the door to the sliding gas door and the kids, where are you going? He says, gotta catch the red eye. Now, Benedict was wearing a red glass eye in this scene, but Arnold didn't see it. So this line makes no sense. Gotta catch the red eye is a cute pun if you know he's wearing a red eye, but the only time you ever saw him, he was wearing a smiley face eye, which doesn't make any sense. So anyway, he does gymnastics off the off the the 
down Laurel Canyon. He does gym, gymnastics down all these roofs. Uh, and then he shoots at, at the at the car, and the car turns around, and the kid's like, I'm missing all the action. So he gets on a little girl's bicycle and he's riding down the hill. And the little girl, the little the, the little girl's bike, he says, Oh, that'll be enough to play chicken with this car that's that's flying up the that's driving up the canyon. And uh, he goes, I'm a good guy. This has to work. I'm not going to be not going to be killed. And then um, he goes, oh, wait, I'm a comedy sidekick. Well, that's not going to work for me because I'm a comedy sidekick. So I have Ah. to crash. Ha, 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 Even the things that were like clever, I was just kind of out on because it was right. The rest of the movie. Because did we get the line, too, where he's like, you can't say that. This is a PG-13 movie and not a rated R one or whatever. That's the the next thing where he does the like, like, say this. And he shows it to him. He wrote it on a notebook and uh, we don't see it, but it's obviously the word fuck. uh, Because that's the word you can't say in PG-13 movies. Like, kid, I don't want to say it. Um, There's also, what again, really cool ideas that belong in much better movies where they're looking, trying to find clues to the whole thing. And the kid comes up and says, hey, the guy with the missing eye, I got his license plate. You mean glass eye? No, when he was running toward the car, it was missing. And another cop finds the glass marble eye thing, and it's got writing on it. And he twists it so that the words match up, and it says, vengeance is mine. And the entire house explodes. Which is a really cool, like I left a bomb that you I would make you read, and the read the thing you read made made sense, and then it explodes. That's a cool idea for another movie because the next scene is them like having ash all over them in the in the captain's office as he's yelling at them. Nobody can understand it, and there's literal steam rising out of his ears because it's another comedy scene. And this is where they they fire Jack Slater. Uh, because because he got his wife's house blown up, or probably because all the other cops, maybe even Skeezy, were all horribly blown to bits um, in 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 that explosion. But they're fine because they're main characters. <sighs> this is where I believe um, he, um, yeah, he takes. Right. Oh, practice tells us there's a funeral of Leo the fart. Come work the funeral with me today where Leo the fart got killed and Torelli's sparing no expense. Um, And uh, it's a rooftop service in Long Beach. That's a detail that's going to come in crucially later. Um, So then we see them. It's like, no, I I can't. I just got fired. I want to go home. Uh, Well, if you change your mind, come meet me at the hotel. So he lives in the worst apartment complex in LA. There's no water in the pool. Uh, he opens the door, home sweet home. Um, there's no furniture in the place except for a bed. He walks into the bedroom, immediately shoots through the glass uh, closet door, and uh, a, a guy falls out dressed as a ninja. And he says, oh, my God, there was a guy in there. There's always a guy in there. Cost, yeah. cost, cost me a fortune in closet doors. And then he opens the closet, and it's full of the exact same gun, 12 of them, the exact same jacket, four of them, the exact same pair of jeans, the exact same pair of boots, the exact same T-shirt. Again, what movie is this from? Yeah. I, 
Um, then he says, oh, well, listen, we got to get out of here. You're going to be all mopey. Let's go to that funeral. Maybe we can find out something. Funeral? Then cut to them flying down the freeway where he lays out the entire plot that somebody else had that he could not possibly know about except for he heard the word funeral. And he lays out the whole thing about how they killed Leo the Fart, but who shot him? It must have been Benedict. Somebody said he took a shot at Torelli and missed and hit Lafart by mistake. But but Benedict doesn't miss, so he wanted to kill Torelli. He would have. He killed Fart. Why did he kill the Fart? Because the Fart's very fat. Why is he very fat? So they can sneak into the mortuary, uh, uh, slice him up like a turkey, and put dynamite in there and blow the whole thing sky high. And the kids said, no, nah, too many explosions. Ah, you're right. Two nights ago, uh, a military... Uh, convoy was jumped and some nerve gas was stolen that must be what they put how do, how do you know all this jack slater you're not a very smart cop we've established that i'm just gonna go back and clip that so context <clears throat> doesn't really make a lot of sense um so uh vivaldi is at the funeral trying to like fake a truce with with torelli Benedict goes and pays respects to the corpse by pulling its finger. Get it? Huh? Leo the fart. Huh? He's got gas inside him. Huh? Um, and then there's a they put a digital watch on the corpse so that the, the timer would count down, which I guess the timer is connected to the bomb inside his body. I don't know how it works. Um, so they, they pull up to the to this um to, to the Hyatt Regency in Long Beach. Uh, there's a huge uh, rooftop gathering at this rooftop garden um and i uh, says stay in the car um but well, if i stay in the car uh like i want to come with you listen everybody says in the movie you stay in the car but the guy doesn't stay in the car and the guy winds up dead um well what happens if somebody comes find me in the car and kills me here there's a glove in the glove compartment and he opens up the glove compartment and there's 15 guns in it ah there's a gun in the glove compartment it's really comedy so um uh so he, he finds practice he tells practice the thing. He says, uh, uh, they're going to blow up the thing. Like, oh, that must be why somebody broke into the mortuary last night. Come on, we'll take the service elevator around back. And and Slater follows practice. And then they get around back. And he says, what are you doing, John? You and I both know there's no service elevator in this hotel. So why did you follow him? If you knew he was going to ambush you. Because that's what he does. He ambushes him. Um, and then the uh, the kid... Uh, the kid uh, walks up behind him and says, "How do you get to Carnegie Hall?" Because the kid's got a gun. And in uh, the and and practice and practice in a body bag if you don't drop your gun. And then the, the, like practice walks over and calmly removes the gun from the kid's hand. Uh, I kind of I kind of liked that line. Not gonna lie. Yeah, it's a good line. Um, but the the but this is the 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 journey of Danny. Yes, he's got to kill. He's got to kill somebody to become a man. Uh, if, yeah. you're, if you were a man, if you were a man, you would have shot that man, but you didn't do it. So, um, so uh, this is why we. Uh, oh, so practice is being paid by Vivaldi to look the other way about his drug dealing activities in Southern California, and the guy he's choosing to bribe to get that is a CIA guy who works in Washington D.C. Feels like it'd be more like the DEA chief. Of Southern California, oh, yeah, in Cali. but the CIA guy from Washington seems like a wrong dude to bribe. Anyway, we'll let it slide because this is a terrible movie. Um, so uh, they're able to get away. Um, 
Vivaldi is there. Vivaldi leaves. Oh, Vivaldi puts the gun to, to, to the kid, and they chain up the kid again with Slater this time. Vivaldi, and, uh, Vivaldi goes home to establish his alibi. Benedict sticks around to make sure everything goes off without a hitch. Practice is there. Be like, last time I talked too much. This time I'm just going to shoot you. But there's two incredibly cartoony-sounding gunshots from behind him. Turns out Whiskers the cat shot F. Murray Abraham in the back. And save the day, because Whiskers the Cat is here. You saved my fur plenty of times, says Whiskers the Animated Cat. I can't, I'm so disappointed in myself that I like this movie. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, Jack is going to take the outside elevator all the way up the building, what he does in like 30, 13 seconds. While Danny says, you see that crane? I need it on the rooftop in two minutes. So Danny runs over there flashing a gun. Hey, you got to help me move the crane. Everybody from the construction site runs away because they see a gun, a kid holding a small gun. Um, And then he's like, oh, my God, I got to learn how to drive this. I don't even know how to drive a car. There's like 75 levers in there. He figures it out in two seconds. Yep. how How to move the crane by himself. So um, Jack somehow undercover by because he put a hat on that has a badge on the front of it, walks through the entire L.A. mob yep. to get to the corpse. Um, and then he, and, he, and then uh, makes believe that the corpse is talking to him. My God, this man's not dead. And he picks him up and he's running through the crowd. And uh, and uh, then everyone realizes what he's doing. So everyone, including old grandmas and a nun, pull guns out of their purses and uh, pockets to shoot at him. And um, then there's the cranes right there. So behind him. So he flings, just like a fallaway slam, a Samoan <laughs> drop to Leo the fart off of it, which lands on the crane. Then, then um, he jumps off the top of the building all the way down 20 stories to the top of a glass elevator. Um, and he's hanging on for dear life, um, is able to like smash through and get into the elevator. Doors open. There's the whole mob is out there, but there's also a, a helicopter who's been circling the entire venue, who's a gunship. The helicopter opens fire, shoots through the elevator as Jack Slater drops down, shoots all the mob guys. And then Jack Slater turns around to shoot at the at the uh, helicopter. Helicopter's rotor smashes the, uh, hits the, the, the crane. And so the helicopter's all wobbly, so it can't shoot straight. So Jack Slater shoots down the helicopter and says, this is a no-fly zone, pal. And then the entire elevator disintegrates from all the bullet holes. And this is actually kind of a cool shot as he's holding on for for dear life by one piece of wood. And the wood breaks and he starts falling. And he looks looks at the wood, tosses the wood aside, and then gets caught by the crane, by the corpse on the crane. And so they're, they're, he's, the Korean is moving the thing. The, it's, there's 40 seconds left. Um, so he's trying to get, hey, Danny, boop, stop the crane right there. And where he wants to stop the crane, Kate, is directly over the La Brea tar pits. The La Brea tar pits, um, you know, because it's going to drop the corpse into the La Brea tar pits. They were on the roof of the Hyatt Regency Hotel in Long Beach. 
This is the La Brea Tar Pits. This is Long Beach. That's a big crane. That's a the very long crane. The other thing is, Alex, there's a, a very large body of water. <laughs> right. 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 I suppose they could do that. But maybe the thing is, their idea of, of what, the, what to do about it. There's a, that's a 45-minute drive. Yes. From La Brea Tar Pits to the Hyatt Regency in Long Beach. I looked it up because I was curious. It was a big mistake. It was a, um, it was a big mistake. That's a 45 minute. Okay, so um, so they drop it, they drop the corpse into the La Brea tar pits with Jack. Jack's able to get out just as the bomb goes off, but because the tar is so thick, there's a bubble of nerve gas that gets sucked right back down. So that's it. Because if it had been water, then the nerve gas would have exploded out and killed everybody. But right. Because it's the tar pits. That's why. Also, because that's why they had to do the La Brea tar pits. Why they had to do the La Brea tar pits and couldn't do like the Beverly Wilshire Hotel, which is miles and miles closer than the Hyatt Regency in Long Beach, I have no idea. But that's, very good. that's, that's a question for the uh, location scouts. Um, Arnold immediately gets clean by wiping off all of the tar with a towel. But it doesn't matter because you know Whitney, how tar works. Whitney shows up. Yeah, so tiring and feathering was obviously just done with soap, soap and water and gets it right off. Um, it's why they did that back in the day. Um, the monster truck that um, that Whitney drives drives off the freeway and up uh, right by the tar pits. Um, and uh, he says, hey, Dad, I heard you were here and thought you could use a change of clothes. And the kid's like, no one finds this at all convenient. Hey, kid, you always said this is a movie, right? Uh, so again, lampshading, because this is very convenient. Oh, by the way, we never see Whitney again. We never see Bridget Wilson, nope. Meredith Caprice, or Whitney ever again after the scene. Now, Benedict shows up at the house. Um, after He's already, by the way, he figured out how the, the magic ticket worked, because he, he came home from the, the, the devastating uh, loss of not being able to kill Jack Slater. Um, uh, and and opens it looks the ticket ticket glows that's how the magic works he puts his hand on the wall and starts to go through the wall um, so he knows it works he just doesn't know what the what the magic is but he tests it again realizes it works and now is his best time to make his move so <clears throat> he hates Tony Vivaldi Tony Vivaldi always does malapropisms what Eddie says you always had uh, Jack Slater in front of the eight ball many times, but you always screwed it up. It's behind the eight ball, you idiot. Idiot. So this time, um, says, uh, says, um, hey, how, how did it go? Oh, it went great. Women and children leaping to their doom to escape the pain of the nerf gas went off without a hitch. Really? No, I'm lying. It was complete and utter balls up. I've had a terrible day, largely thanks to you. Pulls his gun <laughs> on, on Vivaldi. Well, says, hey, Benedict, what are you doing? Uh, I, we, we, you speak my friend. Now you've done a 360 on me. Uh, 180. What? 180. If I, you, you, uh, you spaghetti slurping cretin, if I had done a 360, I would have wound up right back where I started. Uh, then he shoots him. And then he delivers a monologue to the camera. The only time anybody breaks the fourth wall in the entire movie, Benedict does, and it's great. He says, if Danny Madigan can, can jump to parallel worlds, then I can jump to parallel worlds. I can in and out, steal what I can, kill who I can, kill who I want, what I want, and no way's ever the wiser. If God were a villain, he'd be me. 
It's a so great good. monologue. Completely make it an entirely different movie other than this one, but Charles Dance sells it because Charles Dance is the best thing in the movie by far. Um, he uh, Then the monster truck bursts through the wall and uh, he says, all right, Slater, I'll go quietly. The hell you will. Uh, and he punches him. That's for blowing up my 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 uh, my cousin Frank's house. Um, and that's uh, uh, and then he is. Oh, and this is for blowing up my ex-wife's house. There's a little slap on the wrist because ah, my ex-wife. Get right? it? Um, and but this is for my daughter's black eye. And he throws him. He beals him across the entire room, uh, lands and hits odd job, and they both fly through the through the through the uh, wall. It's like usually when I do that, it leaves a hole. Um, so Danny's like, "No, this is the magic. Come on, we got to follow him." Like, well, how will I get back? And this is where Danny Madigan uh, says something that really makes me angry because it sounds like he was calling me out personally. He says, "You can't go through life nitpicking every little thing." I'm like the hell, I can't. Watch me. <laughs> She watch just us. watch me, Danny. An Madigan. hour forty-five into this two ten long movie, I can't stop. Um, they so so they go into the real world, which is which is full of uh, like an entire. They go they go into the theater. They see Benedict and Oddjob running out. They they chase after them, and they see them getting into a checker cab. So um, he punches the the he try shoots the checker cab, but it doesn't explode. Because they don't explode in real life, so um, he uh, he punches the window of of a car, and he goes, "Ow, that really hurts." You can't punch a car window and not have it hurt here. Um, but they drive after him, and they wind up in uh, in an alley. They're gonna play chicken. He says, "Get out of the car! You can't play chicken. You're gonna die. Get out of the car, Daniel." So he gets in the car, and and then he drives off at him. Doesn't play chicken, and they crash. And there's a huge crash, and he runs after him, and he's like, "Ow, that really hurts." It's like, oh my God, you're alive! Uh, you you could have died. Look, 1989 Mercury Sable, driver's side airbag standard, check a cab, no airbag. And yes, our job has flown through the through the windshield. He's dead. Um, so they go and they look for Benedict, who's not there, and like maybe he used the ticket, or I don't know, maybe he got out of the car before they went into the alleyway. You couldn't see the back seat of the car from where you were. Whatever. So um, let's. Um, he sees a billboard with Jack Slater on the on the billboard and he's like but but it says schwarzenegger it's like wait where am i who am i i don't know who i am uh, you got a place i can sit down and so they go to the um to the to the theater where he meets nick um the where the, the kid says to nick without seeing uh schwarzenegger there nick is like oh i believe your story about everything happening because why would you why would you make up stories you're only nine yeah um so the ticket worked oh my god I could have met Jean Harlow. I had such a crush on her. Or I could have, I could have gone and met Marilyn Monroe. Uh, 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 give me the ticket back so I can use it. Um, and so uh, uh, there's Schwarzenegger there. And he's like, oh, Mike, uh, I, I'm a big, great fan of your work too, sir. And it's Slater. So the Slater is like, nah, it's not me. I'm Jack Slater. I'm not John Schwarzenegger. I'm fiction. I'm, I don't fake. I don't exist. Uh, yeah, sure. Let's let's th- let's let's throw his kid off a building. Give him nightmares for the rest of your life. But you're fiction, so who cares? Um, sees him in an existential crisis, and the existential crisis um, leads to him. Uh, like they wind up. Uh, oh, he talks about they they do a lot of like politician bashing, which is good actually. Um, 
but but Arnold becomes a politician not soon not long after this. So that the irony. Um, so he they go back to to Danny's apartment where the mom is justifiably livid because she she knew he was mugged, went to the police station, and he told him to come right back here. She got off her shift. She came home. He's not here. Who knows what happened to him? Um, so uh, hello. Uh, nice to meet you, Mrs. Madigan. I'm Arnold Braunschweiger. Because he, he never understands what his name is. Um, so uh, they... Uh, anyway, the kid um, ends up waking up uh, and he goes in the kitchen and his mom and Arnold Schwarzenegger are best friends. But Arnold Schwarzenegger isn't Arnold Schwarzenegger yet. He's just still Jack Slater. And his mom is stupid and believes that this guy who looks exactly like Arnold Schwarzenegger is an L.A. cop who was just having him check out mug shots all night in the station because his mom is dumb. But um, this is where um, she's convinced Jack that uh, Danny doesn't uh, should should do better with his studies and everything. Mom, you turned him into a wimp. Um, but then they list, they're listening to Mozart. And like, what's what is this? It's Mozart. The guy John Practice killed? Yeah, Jack, the John, the guy John Practice killed. Well, that's terrible. This is the wonderful musician, or whatever he says. Um, so uh, <clears throat> they, they he can they convince him to to let him go, and they go up to the top of the Empire State Building because Jack's like, this is the first place I've been anywhere anything real. So um, maybe he used the ticket again to go into another movie. Why would he do that? I don't know, but it's interesting, right? This is where we get Benedict um, in a diner, like having doodled on some like um, movie uh, times and stuff in a newspaper, explaining to somebody about how this whole thing works. I understand this must be very new and interest do and scary for you, but um, Jack Slater will always thwart our plans unless we get rid of him at the source. So um, I know you have no idea who this is. But uh, his name is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, <laughs> I love that Charles Dance as as Benedict is the only guy who's ever Seven. actually pronounced <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger the correct way, which is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, and it's the Ripper. He brought the Ripper back from from uh, three. Honestly, like Benedict and the Ripper deserve their own villain spinoff together. Yeah. Like they're both really interesting characters with a cool backstory, and them together—that's that's 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 just heaven. Um, so they're going to assassinate Arnold Schwarzenegger at the premiere. Now, Arnold and Danny don't figure this out until later, when uh, when Arnold does some pablum about this world doesn't suck, Danny. It's it, the world is what you make of it. I don't care that your dad died a few years ago and you're obviously still working through that because, again, you're only nine years old. But come on, Danny. Stop saying bad things about the world you live in. Um, and so they see Benedict get into a, a, a cab. They Arnold runs after it, rips the door off the hinges, threatens to murder the cabbie until he tells him where he went. I don't know. He was just in the back with, 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 a, with, a, uh, with a newspaper. They find the newspaper and it's just Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, big like premiere tonight and then they cross out Arnold Schwarzenegger so they go to the premiere this is another one of those weird inside joke things where we see all of these real stars playing themselves including Schwarzenegger and his wife Maria Shriver at the premiere um, 
uh, and they're trying to find out what they're how they're going to kill him. Uh, so then we see the Ripper who's just walking through the like the line of people being interviewed, and they think it's Tom Noonan, the actor who plays the Ripper, but in costume. Um, and like, hey, what are you doing here? Um, I thought I'd kill somebody, and he leaves. Um, and then they see Tom Noonan who's like right next to him, and they go, wait, how's that even? And then Rick Duckerman, uh, from from the Burbs, yes. plays Tom Noonan's agent and sees. The Ripper and says, what are you doing here in costume? You want to play axe murders the rest of your life? Um, you're lucky I know a guy who owns tuxedos. He takes him up to the, the manager's office uh, to like call the thing. And that's where he assembles the whole axe thing. Um, did Jack Nicholson show up to the premiere of Batman Returns dressed as the Joker? Come on, man. Think about it. And then uh, the Ripper murders Tom Noonan's agent. It's really sad. Poor Rick Duckerman. Um, but um, he goes to the top balcony to, to assassinate Arnold Schwarzenegger. Jack is on the lower balcony. Um, and uh, then uh, Danny points out uh, the Ripper who's up there going to throw his ac- axe down and kill Arnold. So this is where we get Ar- Arnold going, uh, Jack Slater going, everybody down, which is a, a thing that everybody uses in all the uh, Ar- Arnold impressions. Came from this particular scene, and then Arnold Spears takes down Jack Slater, and they have a little scene where, like, you're the best a celebrity lookalike I've ever seen. You know, if you ever get to LA, call my people; we can get you shopping center openings. And then it was this is such a great little thing. It's like I don't like you. You've brought me nothing but pain, which is a weird thing to have Arnold Schwarzenegger say to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, it's kind of true in a metaphysical way. Sure. Um. So uh, so then the Ripper kidnaps Danny Madigan out of an incredibly packed lobby at the most fancy hotel in, Lo- in New York. Just, just, just plucks him out of there. Nobody stops it. Nobody cares. Chevy Chase is there. Jean-Claude Van Damme is there. Do a spin kick. Jean-Claude, come on. Yeah. Do something. But no. Um, no awareness. So then Jack realizes where he must have taken him. So he goes up to the roof. So they can play out the exact same scene. And I love the Rippers there. It's like, listen, we've done all this before. You throw away the gun and we talk a little bit and you shoot me. I pull the kid off the roof. You know what? Let's skip to the end. Picks up Danny and throws him off the roof. Um, And then he throws the axe at a Jack. Misses. Jack pulls it out of the wall. It's like, come on, Jack, let's go. Come on. Because he's a psychopath. Um, And Jack, um, instead of attacking him with the axe, like smashes uh the a, like a high voltage box um and then picks his feet up off the wet uh roof and the electrocution only gets the ripper and as he's dying he goes i'll be back <laughs> and jack goes the hell you will um and uh then he's able to save um danny who is hanging from a gargoyle um he's able to pull him up and uh save him from um certain death and they get up there it's like but throwing him up onto the roof is like i think my shoulder is out of the socket from throwing a nine-year-old boy 15 feet up in the air sure. it be. but i mean yeah. i'm glad that they actually had him do something but then um it's like i gotta get to a hospital will the morgue suffice and there's benedict because he's on the roof too he's got he's got his giant his giant gun and, a, and an umbrella and um and he's uh he says um uh, he does this amazing 
He does this amazing monologue. Oh, I forgot entirely about the best, best scene in the whole movie. It's one of the best scenes in all of cinema where Benedict is walking around and realizing that the rules don't apply Oh, the same way. Yeah. He, it's one of the so fucking inspired. He's walking around and he and there's this 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 girl. She's a teenager. She's all cracked out. And she approached like, you want to have some fun, baby? Like, how old are you? Like, never mind. She walks away. And then he like sees uh, like these kids shoot another kid and run away. Like, don't go back. Take your shoes. Take your shoes. He walk and he runs over and he sees the kid. The kids run away. Looks down. There's a kid with socks. He's like, take his shoes. And then he's just waiting. No sirens, no screams. What's going on? And then he's down some uh, side street. Sees a guy in a mechanic shop working on a car. He says, "Excuse me. Yeah, what you need, buddy? Well, <clears throat> I'm wondering if you can help me test a theory. Sure. What do you need? Shoots him dead." Looks at his watch. Listens. Walks out in the middle of the street. Shoots two more times into the ground. I have just shot somebody. And I did it on purpose. I said I have murdered a man. And I want to (laughs) confess. And then you hear somebody way up in the top go, Shut up, people are trying to sleep. So perfect, yep. Oh my god, it's so great when because you you see the look on his face of oh oh this is gonna be good. Like he just no he he totally figures it out. The realization, yeah. The rules don't apply in the same way. It's it's really cool. It's one of the most inspired scenes of the 1990s. And I wish the whole movie was like this. Like this this movie. Like the idea of the beginning, somehow the villain crosses over into the real world, and and realizes that the, this nothing works the same way here. I it's so thought cool. oh, this would have been so cool if this was twenty minutes in, and then the rest of the movie was the exploration yes. of that piece of it. Yeah, uh, this one, the 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 tiny tiny part of this movie that is brilliant should have been the whole movie. Ah, oh, it's so good. Um, so uh. Anyway, now we're on the um, rooftop. On the roof, he says, "I'm going to go." Um, if the if the cops uh, find me, then I'll have another explosive surprise for them. He's got another explosive glass eye, and that's very important for later. Says, "What a ha, Dracula! I can get King Kong. It's probably hard to get King Kong. I'm just going to say hard, hard to find." It's going to be difficult. Um, we could have a nightmare with Freddy Krueger, or throw a surprise party for Adolf Hitler. I feel like just like invoking the actual person as the poster here is cheating. Um, yeah. Also, Adolf probably doesn't like playing second fiddle. So if you're going to bring him just seem that way. Uh, over here, you probably have to like be his lackey. And I don't feel like that's what yeah. you want to do. Um, uh, then he uh, says, um, uh, we do a party for Adolf Hitler. Hannibal Lecter can do the catering. Uh, and then we'll all have a christening for Rosemary's baby. Just the way he says it, it's so great. Charles Dance is the king. But he's like, uh, I the, the, the last the, thing is... The South Park Super Friends. <laughs> like he was yep. rolling yep. everybody up. Let's see, man. Um, just because here in this world, the bad guys can win. 
Ah, uh, it's uh, what it, it's a it's a it is a wonderful concept for an entirely different movie 100%. that should have been made instead of this one. Correct. That is what I keep going back to. Um, but anyway, he's been shooting at them a bunch of times during this whole time, and then finally the gun clicks, and then Arnold says, "You pulled the the, the movie bad guy big mistake. You forgot to reload the damn gun." No, Jack. I just left one chamber empty. And shoots him in the chest. Uh, and then he smashes Danny in the head uh, or in the arm with it. Danny's just playing possum, though. So as he's um, uh, putting more uh, bullets in the gun, says, you hear, Z-Jack, here the bad guys can win. Uh, but then uh, Danny does a flying drop kick or something. Yeah. And somehow Arnold gets a hold of the gun um, and uh, <laughs> points the, the, oh, he tries to activate the ticket to leave, but it doesn't work. Benedict does. So Arnold shoots him in the explosive glass eye, which blows up. But again, this is the real world where things are supposed to have consequences. And it doesn't actually affect them at all, even though there's a giant explosion right next to them. And the magic ticket just kind of like... It chose its own rules. It does. Yeah, which is frustrating because a ticket is also... Even the fact Mm. that you can use it to get to other movies, that was like... Ticket is something that like... Notably, you can only use once. Like, yeah. it, that really frustrated me. Yeah. Um, so, the ticket falls, flutters down after the explosion, down to the ground, and lands outside another theater playing Ingmar Bergman's old The Seventh Seal, which features death. So it activates, and then death walks out of the, of, of the screen. Death is played in a wonderful little cameo by Ian McKellen, Yes. Um, so Gandalf is deaf. Um, but um, they're able to, they're, they, they, he gets shot in the chest. So they, they, he, he's in uh, the, par- the, the ambulance. Paramedics are looking at you like, nah, he's gone. Take him back to the movies. Back to where this is just a flesh wound. And they look at Danny like, uh, you're, um, and uh, then he pulls out a gun. And he's like, <laughs> they all leave. Well, yeah, they left. You pulled out a gun. So then he drives the ambulance into the theater. Old theater, Nick's theater. Um, and Nick comes down the stairs, says, Pleasure playing the movie. We got to get him back into his world. He's been shot. And he's like, Do you have the ticket with you? No, but it's got to work anyway. But it, you can't, kid. Like, I don't understand how that works. Anyway, so he drags Arnold, this nine year old kid, drags Arnold into the theater. They're playing the movie. It's got to work. It's got to work. And um, then. Death and following that ambulance a couple of blocks, and he walks down the aisle. It's like, no, you can't have him. I'm tired of you making the rules. Who stays and who goes? I'm telling you, this one stays. Which I've always hated, but then I realized this is what he, Danny, wishes he could have said to the Grim Reaper when the Grim Reaper. Oh, took okay, his yeah, that makes more sense. But the movie should spell that out. Yeah, like, like they only briefly for one second mention his dad's dead. They don't give you the circumstances or anything. But I think that that's like the main reason why he's so attached to Slater. It's another figure that he can worship, you know? But they don't really do anything. Anyway, so it says, I was just curious. He's not on any of my lists, but you are, Daniel. You die a grandfather. Um, so it's a, he, he's like, hey, you got to help him. Come on. I don't do fiction. It's not my scene. Um, uh, you're a very brave boy. But I must say, you're not very bright. So Death calls Danny dumb, which is dumb. very funny. 
Um, if I were you, I might be looking for the other half of that ticket. Um, so because he knows there's a he knows there's a, a death knows there's a ticket knows he doesn't have it knows there's another half. I don't know where uh, was death watching the movie too. I'm not sure. So de- um, so he says fiction's not his scene. That he's so weird. Um, Danny, Danny drop kicks the little box that care that, that that collects the tickets, and they explodes and he looks like all the tickets are all all gold like the magic ticket. They're all gold. Um, does this movie house never like check the receipts at the end of the night? Like how many tickets have we sold? How many tickets are in the box? Because they've established that- nobody nobody comes to like see anything here. So there's enough ticket stubs in there for like three weeks. Yeah. Whatever. Um, so uh, he finds that the other half of the magic ticket, uh, it starts glowing. They, they get him uh, into, oh, they get him into the uh, other, other, other movie. Whiskers sees that Jack has been shot and is down the hallway. Come on, doc, you gotta come. Uh, so um, I need, uh, uh, I want to stay here with you. Like, I need you out there. I need you out there to believe in me. Um, and uh, uh, it's like, but I, I feel like I'm never going to see you again. If anybody thought that, they would be making a big mistake. Because you know who's making the big mistake? The people who who obviously set this up to be a sequel. In that Danny was going to jump back into Jack Slater 5, and then they would just do this over and over again for, I don't know, five, six movies. But no, yeah, the people did not know. No, not going to work. Um, uh, Jack Slater is fine. Uh, there's uh, He's okay. The doctor says, I wouldn't even call this a flesh wound. And then, um, he, go, then he yells at his own... Uh, um, his own captain about all the tropes. You're the comic relief, the, the captain who he yells at everybody. But I'm the hero, so you have to shut up and listen to me. Uh, and um, then uh, uh, Danny's like, "You can have the ticket." And uh, and Robert Prosky, Nick is like, "Nah, nah, it's yours now." I think Houdini wanted it that way, or something dumb. And uh, the last scene of the movie is J- Jack driving off into the sunset. Oh no, Brent. In October 2019, Schwarzenegger revealed he was willing to star in True Lies 2 and Last Action 2, possible legacy sequels to the willing to star in? Or like, hey, if somebody wants to pay a bunch of money to do this crap. By the way, I believe his new Netflix series, Fubar, is basically a sequel to True Lies. Because that's basically the same character he's playing. Uh, Do people say like, Hey, look at that historic box office flop, and let's try and do a sequel. Twenty years again. Later. This is a cult classic, Kate. People no, who are not. dumb like me used to like like I used to think this movie is great, but it's not. Brent saying, "I saw this with theaters. I cannot re- recall a single moment." So this recap is fun. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad the recap is fun. It was not fun to watch. I hated it. No, I know. <laughs> It had fun moments, but like this was two hours, ten minutes long. It was so, and it it still didn't know what it was doing for all of that time. Like it it, no, I felt uh, like like threat level midnight was a better action parody in thirty minutes. 
and 20 of it was the movie or whatever, then this was in 210. This was exhaustive. And it was a same thing. We were like, know what it wanted to be and that's what it's like. None of those things are happening. Woof. That's great because all we got was um was uh ro- robot jish and then you saying woof at the end. So I'm going to assume that you said get the flick out of here. Um, I am going to I'm going to keep the flick in. Um, uh, what? only for uh, only for old time's sake and Charles Dance's performance. Um, it it is it is a a fan a fantastic example of everything that can possibly go wrong when a, a studio decides. Oh, no, 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 no. We're releasing the movie on this date we picked. And you're not going to have any time to, like, make the movie right. Um, it is it is a, a movie for posterity of how the, of how the action, action movie thing finally fell apart and died. There were not that many big, big, big budget action movies after this because the world was changing. Actually, Arnold Schwarzenegger blames how badly this movie did on the fact that there was a Democrat in the White House now. That Bill Clinton that Bill Clinton became president so the movie started to suck. That's what he says. Story tracks, because they were classics before that, let me tell you. Yeah. All right. I'm I'm listen, I am this is as close as I've ever been when keeping the flick in to getting it out. Like it's fifty one forty nine. Like that's what it is to me. But that, but the one percent that tips it over is entirely um, Charles Dance. I love that performance unabashedly, um, and I will, I will, all, I will always defend it. Um, also, this movie has to exist so that somebody can watch it and then make the movie about the bad guy coming from the movies into the real world and realizing that he can get away with murder here. If we I get that, that movie, I will retract mine if we get that movie. <laughs> but his performance probably would have saved this for me if they cut out 45 other minutes of this movie. I know. Like, I part know. of what killed this was the runtime for me. Like, 210 for this nonsense was way too long. And it is really too long. The director agrees with you. The director thinks there should have been at least a half hour trimmed out of it, but they wasn't allowed to. So. It is. Like you said, though, it goes to show you could have, like, solid enough cast, huge budget, good, like, cinematically good, um, clever writers, script treatments. Like, you can have all these things in place, and you can still make a really bad movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, hopefully there'll be a really good movie next week, but I make no promises. I'll have a great track record. (laughs) You're getting into hate territory with your picks. No, listen. Listen, I there were I have other options. Mm-hmm. Better than this one, I promise. I, I it has to be. Can't be much worse. Um we'll see you all next week when we decide whether we're going to get the flick out of here. Bye everybody. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Click the subscribe button and find out what it means to me. Nah, that doesn't have a ring to it. But if you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now.